There's nothing in the world like being there. You can see pictures and books of all kinds of spectacular places, but there's just no substitute for actually being present in the place. I can remember the first time my father took me to a Major League Baseball game. He told me all about the stadium. He told me all about what was going to happen. But there's no substitute for the first time that you come up through the stands and you lay your eyes on that field and you see the green grass and you see the stands and you see the, the scoreboard and all the rest of it. Now, I've got a picture. This is a recent picture. This is not the first time my dad took me to a, a ball game. This is... The last time I took my son to a ball game up in Boston, we were just happened to be up there back in May. I can remember uh, going to New York City. Now, before I'd ever been there, you, you hear all about New York City, Times Square, and all the rest of it. And you can look at pictures of Times Square. But there's nothing really like standing in the middle of Times Square and seeing all that there is to, to, to see. Now, I understand today you might not want to go because there's some, a lot of interesting stuff, but it's, it's an incredible place. Now, I've, I've heard a lot about Israel and I've heard a lot about Jerusalem and, and of course, reading the Bible and the Bible, the Bible towns and lands. But let me tell you, there's nothing like being in the city, in the holy city, and looking at the wall. I've got a picture here of Jerusalem and, and that eastern wall there. And there's nothing like looking at it and seeing it and being there. There's just nothing like being there. There's also nothing like being in the presence of Jesus Christ. Let me say that again. There's nothing else like being in the presence of Jesus Christ. And it, there's something that's going to happen to you when you're truly in the presence of God, when you're truly in the presence of Christ. It, it's, it's a life-changing situation. It's a life-changing uh, thing that will happen to you. It will change you, and I guarantee it. In the text that we're going to look at tonight, we're going to see three things that being in Jesus presence will produce in your life. And I'm excited to, to, to have these three things happen in my life and for them to happen in your life. And we're going to see these things that his presence produced in the lives of the people that he met here in Matthew chapter 9. So hang on, get your note sheet out. We're going to go through three things, three points to keep it real simple tonight. The first thing that Jesus' presence produces is this. Jesus' presence produces a party. You say, what's that? It produces a party? Yeah, let's read it. Matthew chapter 9, verse 14. It says this, then the disciples of John came to him saying, why do we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, can the friends of the bridegroom mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch pulls away from the garment, and the tear is made worse. Nor do they put new wine into old wineskins, or else the wineskins break, the wine is spilled, and the wineskins are ruined. But they put new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved." Jesus' presence provides reason to party. Amen? 
the context for this passage that we read just now is the, here's the immediate context. The passage just before it is about when, Matt, when Jesus was walking in, in the town and he came up to basically a tax booth. He came up, they had these booths where the tax collectors would sit up in these booths. And he came to this booth and he looked up at one of the men in that booth and his name was Levi. And he looked up at Levi and he said, Levi, follow me. Levi, follow me. And you know what Levi did? He came down off of his tax booth and he followed Christ. He, he left being a tax collector and became a follower of Jesus Christ. He became a disciple. Now you and I know him not so much as Levi, but as Matthew, and he's the writer of this gospel that we're reading tonight. And so here's what happened. Right after Jesus called him, called him out of a life of corruption in the IRS, amen? Yeah, that's right. Called him, called him out, called him out of a life of corruption in the IRS, and called him to be a follower of Christ. And you know what Levi did? You know what Matthew did? He threw a party. He threw a party, and he, he got all of his friends to come over to his house and he invited Jesus over and he just threw a big party and here's why he did it because he wanted all of his friends and everyone he knew he wanted them to meet Jesus who had totally changed his life who had come into his life and changed it and called him out of that corruption that he was involved in and called him to be free and to be a follower of Christ and so Matthew throws a party they're having a great feast they're having a great I don't know what the, I mean they had you know uh, lamb kebabs and all kinds of stuff. I mean, you know, they, they didn't have chicken wings or anything, but they had, you know, lamb kebabs and maybe they had them barbecued or whatever. I don't know. But they had a party. And, and, and it was awesome. And it was awesome. And so what happens is we come to the context of the passage that I read you already tonight, where it says this in verse 14, then the disciples of John, now that's speaking of John the Baptist. The disciples of John the Baptist came to him saying, Jesus, why do we and the Pharisees, we fast, we, we fast, we, 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 we take that time where we don't eat, but when we look at you and we look at the disciples and all these people that are following you, it's it, it just, you don't fast. It just seems like a big party all the time. It just seems like everybody's having a good time. And, 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 and this is the question that John's disciples asked. The Old Testament law had set aside times that there would be fast. One day in particular was called the Day of Atonement. And it was a day that was set aside where the whole nation would fast. There were other times that people would fast. The Pharisees had gotten actually into the habit of fasting two days a week. Can you believe that? Can you imagine that? They're going to fast for two days a week. And the, the, the word fast here, the, the tense of it, actually connotates the idea that they were in the middle of their fast when they asked them this question. And it said, we fast. And the idea is, they look, we do this all the time. But when we look at you, Jesus, it just seems to be a party. It just seems to be this great thing. And here's what Jesus says in verse 15. Can the friends of the bridegroom mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. 
Basically, what Jesus is saying is, when I'm here, there's no reason to fast because I'm here. It's time to, it's just time to celebrate life. It's time to enjoy everything. It's time to enjoy my presence. And that's what Jesus is saying. Look, when I'm the bridegroom, and when, if I'm here, there's no reason to fast. And, and let me put it to you this way. When Jesus comes into your life, it's not as if you know Jesus isn't saying never fast in your life, okay? What he's saying is, I've come, and I'm doing a, an incredible work in your life, and, 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 and it's a party. It's, 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 a, it's a feast. We feast upon Christ. We feast with him. Day in and day out, we have this wonderful relationship. He, he dines with us, amen? He, he fellowships with us. He's our daily companion. Do you know what a companion is? A companion is actually, uh, in the Latin, it actually means to share bread with. Come pan. Pan is bread with. Come is with. It, it, a companion is someone that you break bread with, that you share with, and that's who he is. He's a companion. He's a friend, and he's the bridegroom, and when the bridegroom's here, here, it's time to have a celebration. Amen? And so this is what Jesus is saying. Jesus and his disciples, uh, and this new disciple, Matthew, and his friends were right in the middle of this huge uh, feast, and these guys were fasting. Now, I don't know about you, but if Jesus stopped by my house, what would you do? Call for a fast? No, I would call for the caterers, amen? I would call for the caterers, and I would invite every single person that I knew, guess who's over at my house? Party over at Charles's house. The Lord is here, and it's time to have a wonderful feast. And in the presence of Christ, it's a feast. In the presence of Christ, it's a feast. When we're in heaven, we're gonna be, when we go to heaven, what's gonna happen? We're gonna be ushered right into a feast, not a fast. We're going to be ushered right into a feast. They call it the marriage supper of the Lamb. Now, that may sound a little stiff to you, but it's a great big party in heaven. Amen? And it's going to be awesome. And all those that call upon the name of the Lord are going to participate in that. And that's what God's done in, in your life. He's, he's called you out of whatever it is that you were involved in. He's called you out of the depths of despair. He's called you out of the depths of having no hope in your life. He's called you out of the depths of headed in the exact wrong direction. And he's called you, just like he called Matthew, he's called you down off of that tax collector booth, and he's come walking right into your life. And just like Matthew did, he threw him a big feast, and, and we would do the same. Now, what Jesus is saying is here, he says, can the friends of the bridegroom mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? And the answer to that question is no. I mean, can you imagine, can you imagine being at a wedding where you get to the reception? I mean, here you see the wonderful service and everything and, you know, be man and wife and all the rest of it. And you get ushered into the reception and the, the host of the reception comes up and goes, okay, we've packed away all the food, all the drinks, there's nothing we're going to have a fast now. Can you imagine? No, that's, that's, that's not the time for a fast. That's time for a feast. It's time for a celebration. And that's the celebration that you and I have with Christ every single day of our life because he's made us a new creation in him. He's done something new, and it's reason to celebrate. Now, I don't know what you celebrate, we celebrate a lot of things, don't we? We celebrate birthdays. We celebrate anniversaries. We celebrate these types of things. But you know what we need to do as Christians? We need to celebrate life in Jesus and remember what it was when we didn't have Christ and remember today what it is to know Christ and to have the Lord Jesus present in our lives. Now, Jesus does not condemn fasting here. We learned in our study in the Sermon on the Mount in 
uh, Matthew chapter 6, that he says, he talks about fasting and how you should do it, that you shouldn't, uh, you know, you shouldn't go around marking up your face and walking around going, look at me, I'm fasting. You should just kind of do it and keep it to yourself and, and do it for the right reasons to pursue the Lord and to do what he's wanting you to do in your life. But uh, so he doesn't condemn fasting, but he is calling these people to a feast. He celebrated with them. Let me ask you a question tonight. Have you celebrated the Lord in your life? Have you celebrated the presence of Christ in your life? You say, well, no, I celebrate all kinds of other stuff. But I can't remember the last time I celebrated the presence of the Lord in my life. Well, I'm giving you a reason, and tonight's text is giving you a reason to celebrate the presence of Christ in your life if and truly, indeed he has walked into your life and you've received him into your heart and into your life. Now, there would become a time, there would come a time when they, would, they wouldn't be, these disciples in Jesus' time, they wouldn't be fa- uh, feasting, they would be fasting, they would be mourning. In fact, Jesus later references this time in John chapter 16, verse 20. I'll have it up on the screen for you. Jesus said this, Most assuredly I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice and you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. What was Jesus talking about? Jesus was talking about how he, they were going to weep and lament. When, when Jesus went to the cross, when he was beaten, scourged, when he took the sin of the world upon him, when he went to the cross and he shed his blood, and, the, and they were going to weep, and they were going to lament it, the world was going to celebrate. Oh, look, we finally got rid of that guy, Pilate and the rest of them, Herod, the, all the Sadducees and Pharisees that had conspired against the Lord. They were all going to celebrate it. The disciples were going to lament, but he says, your lamenting will be turned to joy. Why? Because Jesus has done this incredible thing. He's won a victory over death, hell, and the grave, and it's reason to celebrate. Amen? Now, this passage goes on. He says, no one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an an old garment, and no one puts new wine into old wineskins. Very quickly, want to run through these analogies. The analogy is this. God is doing a new thing. Jesus is doing a new thing, and in order for God's work to to totally take hold in your life, you have to be made new. You have to be a new person. You can't be the old you. You can't go around and think you're going to celebrate Jesus and have this relationship with Christ unless you've you've given the Lord that place to make you a new person. And that's what uh, Paul said in, in 2 Corinthians 5.17. He says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation, Old things have passed away, and behold, all things have come, become new. And so when you come to Christ, you become a new creation. Maybe you, 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 so in, in, in that sense, you've got to let go of some of the old wineskins. You've got to let go of some of the old cloth. Let me put it to you this way. You've got to go get, get rid of some of the old ways of thinking. You got to get rid of some of the old philosophies. Well, I do it this way, and I conduct my life this way. No, Jesus has done a brand new thing, and He's come right into smack dab in the middle of your life and given you reason to feast and celebrate and party, and He's made you a new person, and therefore you're new, and you've got to begin to walk in the newness of that life. You've got to put off the old and embrace the new thing that the Lord has done. And this is exactly what Jesus is talking about here. Paul puts it a different way in Romans chapter 12. He talks about not conforming to the pattern of this world. The old way, the old pattern of the world that that conformed you. Levi had been conformed 
to that pattern. There he was on the tax collector booth. He was, in, he was just like all the rest of the tax collectors. Corrupt. Here's what they would do. They would, you would have, you know, here was your tax bill, and then they would put another little bit on top, and then they would take, take a little bit off the top. They were all known as crooks. And so when God called him out of that tax collecting, he called him out of corruption. He called him out of the old way. And that's what Jesus wants to do in your life. He wants you to not be conformed to the old way, to the pattern of this world, but to be transformed in your mind, in the new way, in the new work that God is doing. God is going, has changed you for the better. Amen? Do you believe that? I, I don't want, I mean, if, if God's wanting to me to get rid of something in my life, then I'm all for it. If God wants to get rid of an old way or whatever, I'm all for it. I've been changed for the better. And, and Jesus wants to be the Lord of your life. Well, let's hurry on to the second point. We've got two more. First, Jesus' presence produces a party. Secondly, Jesus' presence produces faith. Let's look at it. Verse 18, it says this, now while he spoke these things to them, behold, a ruler came. And worshiped him, saying, My daughter just died, but come and lay your hand on her, and she will live. So Jesus arose and followed him, and so did his disciples. And suddenly a woman who had a flow of blood for twelve years came from behind and, and touched the hem of his garment, for she said to herself, If only I may touch his garment, I shall be made well. But Jesus turned around, and when he saw her, he said, be of good cheer, daughter. Your faith has made you well. And the woman was made well from that hour. First, Jesus' presence produces a party. Second, Jesus' presence produces faith. A ruler came to him, full of faith for his daughter. His daughter had passed away. And this ruler came to Jesus. And what did this ruler do? He came, and, and Matthew, the, tax, the ex-tax collector, tells us he came worshiping Jesus. He came giving Jesus the glory. He, he began to understand who Jesus was. And faith, when he came into the very presence of Jesus, faith arose in his heart. And he says, I need to ask that guy to come to my house, that he would touch my daughter, and that she would be raised to life. Because I know that man man, that God, if he comes to my house, something's going to happen. And faith was produced by the presence of Christ on that particular day. Now, while all that was happening, there was another situation. Here was a woman in the crowd. She had had an issue of a blood flow in her life for 12 years that this was going on, this problem in her body. And when she came near to the presence of Jesus, she looked at him and she said, if I can just get close enough to touch just the hem of his garment, I'll be made whole. She pressed through the, the other gospel writers tell us, she literally pressed through the crowd. She presses through the crowd to touch the hem of his garment. Now there's a lot of theologically stuff that I could go through and tie that into to Ruth and all this and the hem of his garment and all that with Boaz, but I'm not going to go there tonight because we got another point, but we can certainly do that. But he, she, she presses in to reach the hem of his garment and what had happened? Faith was produced in the presence of Jesus. And how many of you know if Jesus were here tonight that faith would rise in your heart? 
to believe him for what he wants to do in your life, in your family, in your situation. Now let me tell you, he is here. Amen? He is here. He is here and faith arises in the presence of Christ because he's the creator. He's the Lord of creation. He's the one that spoke and light appeared. He's the one that made everything. The Bible tells us that he made everything and that he literally holds the universe together. In him all things consist, Paul told the Colossians. The idea there is he literally holds. There's, there's the idea of the, uh, the atom. For years, scientists didn't know how the atom was held together. You have these protons and electrons, which are opposing forces, and it's like, wait a second, but there's something that's holding this whole thing together. And you know what they called it? The strong force. <laughs> yeah, the strong force holds the atom together. It holds everything, every atom in your body together, and it's none other than the very power of God. In him, all things consist. And if you knew he was here, if you knew he was in, his, in your life, then you'd have reason to have faith produced in your life. Let me tell you a little story, and we'll move on to the last point. When I was a little boy, I don't know, probably seven or eight years old, I was part of a, a boys group in our church. Uh, it was called Royal Rangers. It was very similar to Boy Scouts, but it was Christian-based. And uh, so you learned how to do all the Boy Scout stuff, you know, making fires and and camping and all that stuff, tying knots, but you also learned the Bible along with it. And I remember they would take us on these huge weekend campouts, and they were called powwows. And we didn't know what a powwow was, but it sounded like it was going to be fun, right? It was like, with a powwow, the powwow. Well, that sounds fun. It sounds cool. Well, anyways, we got out there in the middle of the woods. And you know what, else? You know what is in the middle of the woods? Poison ivy. Poison ivy is in the middle of the woods, and would you know it that I got poison ivy? And let me tell you, anybody had poison ivy? Raise your hand. You had poison ivy? Yeah, we've all had it. And you've gotten the little pink lotion and rubbed it all over your skin, and like, oh, you know, and you're like, wow, this is really, really stinks, right? I had poison ivy so bad that it was all the way covering my body. It was all the way in my head, in my, in my mouth, in my system. In, it was like literally in my eyes. I mean, it was like that uh, just consuming me. And I'll, I'll, I'll remember that that night my mom came to my assistance and came to my aid and she helped me just, you know, keep clean and, and the calamine lotion and all the rest of it. And I'll never forget that night that we prayed that I would be delivered from that poison ivy, or at least the, 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 the tough night of it, because it was a miserable night, and I remember it to this day. And would you know it, the next morning when I woke up, I was completely healed of poison ivy. How many of you had poison ivy? You know that even a little small trace of it doesn't go away overnight. It's several days that you, that you have poison ivy. My mom can attest to it after the service if you want to talk to her about it. Completely gone. And I'll never forget. And you know what that did in my life? It talked to me about the presence of Jesus in my life. It talked to me about being a young boy sitting in a bathtub covered with poison ivy and knowing that I could call on the name of Jesus 
and that he was right there in the room with me, and he was right there caring for my situation, and he's right there with you, and he wants to, 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 to reveal his presence to you, and that presence is going to produce a faith. And let me talk to you just a second about faith. Today, faith has been really, it's been kind of warped. Uh, people have turned, they've taken faith and taken it off into some other thing that it really isn't. When you look at faith in the Bible, faith is actually trusting what the Lord said. It's, it's trusting God, it's trusting His character, it's trusting who He is, it's trusting what He said. And um, in, in some ways, and I'm not going to get high on that horse or anything tonight, but some have turned it and said, well, no, just believe in what you've said. Believe in what you've said and it'll come to pass. And I'm not going to just you know, downplay the, 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 the goodness of positive thinking because there's a lot of negative thinking. But what I want to do is I encourage you to believe what the word of the Lord has said. What has God said in your life? Believe upon it. Believe upon it. Hold on to it. What has he said in his word? Believe upon it. He says, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. Are you a new creation tonight? I want to talk to you about one more thing that, the, that Jesus' presence produces. It produces a future. Amen? It produces a future. Let's finish that section. Pick it up, verse 23. It says this, When Jesus came into the ruler's house, and he saw the flute players and the noisy crowd wailing, and he said to them, Make room, for the girl is not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him. But when the crowd was put outside, he went in and he took her by the hand, and the girl arose. And the report of this went out into all the land. Jesus' presence produces a future. Amen? Jesus' presence produces a future. Jesus gets to the house. You know, the ruler had found him. He said, Jesus, if you'll come to my house, if you'll come to my house, you could do something about my daughter who's dead. And he gets there, and what does he find? The flute players are already playing. In other words, she's dead, she's gone. They've brought in the musicians to, to kind of console the, the family. What they would do in the ancient times is they would bring in flute players, harp players, and they would, they would kind of play these sad songs, and it would kind of stir up the whole uh, idea of mourning and letting the tears just flow, and it would just be a sob story. It was like a sad party. It was the opposite of Levi's, Matthew's party. This was a sad uh, party, uh, funeral uh, situation that Jesus had walked into. The flute players were playing, and Jesus walks in, and he says, she's not dead. She's only sleeping. And they, they ridiculed him. They laughed at him. They, they, they scoffed at him. But when they were put outside, he went to the child. He went to the girl. And he raised her from the dead. He healed her. He gave her life. And it was an incredible thing. Now, Jesus' presence produces a future. Think about this situation. This girl had no future right? She was gone. Her future was, at least here on the earth, was over. Her parents were sobbing. They had the flute players, the, 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 the harp players out there uh, consoling the crowd, so to speak. She had no future here on the earth. But Jesus walks into the middle of the situation, and he heals her, and he brings her back to life. And so what does he do? He gives her a future. And that's exactly what Jesus' presence does in your life. He gives you a future. Think about your future for a second. Think about your future right now for a second. Now think about your future without God, without Christ. Is that a future? 
It's no future at all. Without God in the picture of your life, without God at the center of your life, without Jesus in the center of your life, there is no future. But Jesus walked into this girl's house. He walked into her room and he, he raised her from the dead and he gave her a future. It's in the presence of Christ. It's in the presence of Jesus that there's a future. Out there without God, without Christ, there's no future. There's no future. Is you're going nowhere. However, with Jesus, there's always a future. There's always a future when Jesus is involved in a situation. Amen? What is the future that he wants to provide for us? First of all, he wants to provide us with everlasting life. We were in the same situation that that little girl was in. Dead. Dead in our sins. That's the exact, the, the, the picture is this. You're in, you were in the exact situation that that girl was in until Jesus came walking into the center of your life. And he changed the situation and he called you out of darkness into light. He called you out of death into life. And he gave you a hope and a future. And how did it happen? It's because Jesus came walking into the center of your life. Paul put it this way in Romans chapter 6, verse 23. I'll have it on the screen for you. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. In another place, Jesus said this, John 10, 10, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. You were headed nowhere. You were receiving the pay for your sin, which was death. But Jesus gives you life and life to the full. Amen? Amen. I want to close with this verse over in Matthew 11. It's verse 16, if you want to turn over there. Jesus said this. He said, but, what, but to what will I liken this generation? You want to think about what Jesus, what his commentary might be? If he, if he walked right into the middle of our, our generation, what, what would he say? Well, well, here's what he said about the generation that, that, that he walked into. He says, what will I liken this generation? It's like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their companions and saying, we played the flute for you and you did not dance. You mourned. We mourn to you, and you did not lament. For John came neither eating or drinking, and they say he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, look, a glutton and a wine-bibber and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is justified by your children. What's Jesus saying? Jesus is saying, look, I sent John to you, and he was out there fasting, eating locusts, wearing camel hair calling you to repentance, and they say, well, look at that guy's crazy. He's nuts. He's, he's got, certainly he's got a demon. He says, I came. The Son of Man comes, and they say, look at this guy. He's a friend of tax collectors. He hangs out at parties with ex-tax collectors. It's like, he says, to what will I like in this generation? It's like, the, he says, here's, here's what it's like. We, we had the children, and they said, we're, we're going to play funeral 
So we're going to call the flute players. We just talked about that in our context, right? So they would call the flute players when someone dies. So the kids would play this. They would, they would say, okay, come on over, bring the flute players. And they would, they would play flute and they'd say, okay, everybody mourn. And everybody would mourn because that's what you did with the flute players. Oh, now, now we're going to have the wedding party. So let's have, let's have the happy time. Let's have the, the fun time. And, and everybody would play that. And what Jesus is saying is, I sent you John to prepare the way for me. And you said, he is a demon. Now I've come right in the middle of your situation, and you say, look, who, who, who can this be? He's just a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And friends, let me tell you, that's exactly what he is. He's a friend of tax collectors and sinners, people who were caught in, a, in, in corruption in their life. And he looks into the center of our hearts, and he calls us out of it, and he says, I have got a hope, and I've got a future for you in Jesus' name. So three things that Jesus' presence produces. It produces a party, time for a feast. It produces faith, that faith rises in your heart when you're in the presence of Christ. And it produces a future because we've got a glorious future with him.